Growing up on the farm, I've never been afraid of work. Not afraid to work? Grew up on a farm. Grew up around trucks, for that matter. It's a familiar story in the trucking business, but as with any of the million stories out there, there's plenty of twists and turns in the details when it comes to the tale Edali, Alabama-based small fleet owner Brian Lindley has for you today. He's the owner of the 20 truck LB3. Three leased owner operators and much of the balance of the power units operated in full service lease arrangements with Penske and hauling mostly for direct customers. I'm Todd Dills. This is the Overdrive Radio Podcast and we're going to hear much more today about Lindley's origins. His path to where he is today, with accolades heaping up on the men and women he's surrounded himself with there in the business. During the March event of the Alabama Trucking Association, Lindley operators scored both number one and number two spots in their Driver of the Year awards. Nathan Heflin of Lionville in the state took home the top spot, and LB3 leased owner-operator Jason Weber the second. Brian Lindley's wife, Valerie, was named Safety Professional of the Year for her work uh, as Safety Director, and Maintenance Director Todd Martin, uh, Maintenance Professional of the Year. It's been quite a year for the business. And with 40 reefer trailers in the operation today, they've come a long way from the old Mac Lindley uh, started out hauling with. Hauling chicken litter to area customers uh, just more than a decade ago. Stay tuned for more and more too from ATBS President Todd Amon, who we heard last week detailing some of the potential legal headwinds mounting against the independent contractor in trucking. In the Q&A near the end of the podcast, uh, you'll hear his response to a question about the viability of the one truck carrier looking ahead. Despite the threats and sometimes difficulties, here's what he had to say. Because the one truck owner operator has the advantage in the market. I can be a large multi-billion dollar truck line and I can negotiate trucks that cost me half of what you're paying for them. I can negotiate fuel that costs me 40 cents a gallon, less than you're paying for it. But at the end of the day, I've got to employ tens of thousands of people to operate that equipment. And that's inefficient because those people I employ to operate that equipment, they don't really care about it. Um, you as an owner-operator, on the other hand, you're lean and mean. You fight every single day to be successful in your business. When fuel goes up from 250 to 350 a gallon, you can react immediately. You can idle less, you can slow down, you can manage your fuel costs. If I'm a truck line, billion dollar truck line with 10,000 trucks, and I just turned my speed limit up from 63 to 67 because fuel, fuel costs went down, it's gonna take me another six months or a year to get those trucks turned back down. So I simply say that because, yeah, the one truck owner operator is always gonna be around. You can run more efficiently, cost effectively, you're scrappy. You can run when everybody else wants to sit. Um, So yeah, don't ever count yourself out. Uh, You're the backbone of trucking, you're gonna be around forever. Stay tuned for more there. And before I pass it off to LB3 owner, Brian Lindley, here's a word from Overdrive Radio's sponsor. FirstGuard provides commercial truck insurance to leased owner-operators done right. As we've done for more than 80 years, we provide physical damage and non-trucking. Many companies make you pay up to six months of insurance premiums up front, but not FirstGuard. We bill monthly, so you get quality insurance without needing to pay a lot of cash up front. Go to FirstGuard.com. That's 1-S-T-Guard.com. FirstGuard. We speak trucker. Let's talk. As of present day, we, we've got about 20 trucks, and I think three of those are owner-operators. Most 
everything is reefer and we do haul uh, some dry goods but we, we haul some some non-perishable items in reefers as well so it's a little bit unique but we do try to keep that at a temperature controlled so uh, it's kind of seasonal when we do the reefers on that side but we started our business um, with hauling processed chicken so that's where we cut our teeth at and really started in that grind of hauling chicken but uh, we're, we've expanded it into paper and looking to expand it even further into other areas to try to more diversify our, our business and our, and our business model. That's been the name of the game for many a small fleet in the past year as business owners have looked for ways to backstop the uncertainty around freight demand in any one segment. Lindley's not an exception there, as you'll hear. I'll note here that uh, I came to Lindley via a colleague who penned a piece in part about LB3's use of the DriveWise system for Waystation Bypass, activated through LB3's and Omnitrack's ELD systems, and the time and other efficiencies gained therein no doubt helpful in his home area of uh, Widawi, not far from the Heflin scale on I-20 there in Alabama. There's also quite a profile of his operation that ran in the publication of the Alabama State Trucking Association. So when we talked, I well knew that Lindley did not in fact get his start trucking hauling processed chicken, as he'd said. That was a start, anyways. But before that, he was hauling his own product. Story he tells and what follows here. We started, uh, I was actually, I'd went to Southern Union State Junior College there for a while and was looking at what to do in life and didn't really know what to do. I, I was raised on the farm and uh, I had been around it my entire life from when I was old enough to, to start walking. My, my granddaddy, he had uh, broiler houses. And so I just, of course, you know, just loved it. And he had cows and milk cows. And so I'd been around it my entire life. And so I was thinking I was going to go to Auburn to go into poetry science, even though I, didn't really care for Auburn. That's the only place you could go. I, I wouldn't go into law school at Alabama. I knew that. So, um, but we were headed in that direction, and I had a side job at a body shop up at Buster Mile Chevrolet there in Heflin. I'd been working in the local body shop here since I was about 13, and just kind of evolved. And so I'd done that as a side job while I was in college. Got a phone call one day from a guy that said, hey, um, we need someone to build some breeder egg houses. I'm like, hmm, because that summer prior, I had helped my mother's uh, boss lady. She, Her dad had breeder egg houses, and I did that, and I swore I would never have egg houses because that was hard work. <laughs> well, here I was about to venture off into breeder eggs. So that happened in, um, I was 20 years old, and that happened in 1994. So I got thrown into that, and we had no guidelines, no no direction, just they needed two houses built ASAP. And so the laundry list of things that went wrong in them first couple of years in the egg business is too too long to list. But we persevered and got through that and continued on and, uh, we kept the egg houses up until recently. I think it was in 18 when we, we finally closed those down. But what led to me to get into to all of this is in the hen business, when you got when you got hens, you've got them for about 40 to 42 weeks at a time. 
So when you get a bad flock, you've got it for that entire basically year. I'd had three bad flocks in a row and it, it just, it was destroying me. We had just built a house, had a, a new baby, had a second one on the way. So there was a guy at church that uh, me and him became close. He's 20 years older than I am. And he said, hey, come help me. He had he had seven chicken houses at the time as well. And he said, we, I put in well pumps and put in water lines and all that. So growing up on the farm, I've never been afraid of work. So I said, sure, I'll help you. So we would go and put in ditches and we would start that process and we would uh, buy our material and whatever we cleared, we split. And so that was, that was really helping me. So one thing led to another. So he needed to clean out his chicken houses one year. So we did and started making a little money there. So I had an old RD 688S Mac that had a, a trash body on it. And my dad had an even older Mac that had an old roll off on it. So uh, his truck wasn't that good. So what we done is we scrapped the trash body and put that old roll off on, on my Mac and got us a 40 yard can. And we started hauling chicken litter from his farm to other local farmers. Okay. And I thought, okay, this is, this is all right. So we was doing it in a roll off and I told him, you know, Hey, we need to, we need to get down around the Montgomery area. I think we can sell more litter down there. So we, we, uh, start doing some fillers and whatnot, but one of our local neighbors, he was a, he, he worked for ABI, I believe it was. It's a, a large national company that uh, they do artificial insemination of beef cattle. Okay. And so we met with him one day at, at lunch at Longhorns, ironically, <laughs> and he gave us a list of about, uh, he probably gave us probably a hundred farmers that he had worked with in the past that had large farms, cattle, row crops, different things, people that might need litter. So I sat on that for a couple of months and then one one August morning it had rained and, and we weren't able to, to work. So I got on the phone and started selling semi loads of chicken litter. And by lunch I had sold thirty thousand dollars worth of chicken litter. <laughs> now granted I had no semi, I had no litter, I had no way of doing all this. Right. All I knew is I had $30,000 in sales. And so I called Brother Johnny. And- That's Johnny Brown, Lindley's business partner in Laidback Farms at the time. I said, hey, I got an issue. I told him what I'd done. He said, well, let's go get our semi and let's go get it. <laughs> that was always his mentality. You know, he, he never did see any barriers. Yeah. Neither have I. And that was, we, we meshed like that. So. Uh, we went and bought us a semi, bought us a walking floor trailer, and, and we started the process. And of course, on the first load out, the used trailer we bought broke down, and we had to unload about half of that load by shovel. But oh, um, that's how the journey began. But <laughs> as we began to evolve and, and, and moving, sales picked up, and, and we added a second truck to moving litter. Then we added shavings. We would put the shavings in the chicken houses. Uh, for the litter in exchange we were just using the the shavings as a form of currency so we got into that had a couple of shaving trucks running as well semis mm-hmm. but the rainy season started catching us so here we are we got about four employees at this time from 2012 when we started laid back farms and until about 13 somewhere along in there i started 
13, 14, I started looking at some things. And I noticed when I was letting my, you know, I told you I had a couple newborns. And so my, my wife's mother would pick them up every day after she got off her bus route in the morning. So I'd meet them there at the local crossroads. And I got to noticing these trucks coming through the crossroads every day. And I thought, you know, they're running regardless if it's raining or whatever the weather is, they're moving. So us being in the chicken business and I, through all the storms that I've been through with the bad flocks of chicken, I got to know a guy named David Thompson. He was our local guy that was over this region with cooked food at the time. So I made a phone call to David and he said, yeah, I know a guy. And so he, he put me in touch with a guy and then that guy put me in touch with another one. And, um, lo and behold, they needed two trucks. So we put, we took two of our chicken trucks or, that we was hauling litter with, and we kind of, or we took one of them and put them to hauling reefers. And then we bought another truck to, to do just this, just to haul reefers. And so I went and bought four trailers, four reefer trailers to make this process work. And so we started and the first trip was to Mobile, to the state docks. And we get down there and they tell us, hey, you got to have an escort. I grew up on a farm. I didn't know what an escort was. So we're like, well, you mean you got to have an escort? Because you can't go on this state, state dock unless you've got an escort. Or you will have to escort you and you'll have to pay for it. So it was it was horrible. First two nights, I, I called Mitch, who, who got me started. I said, look, is this a rookie hazing? He said, I don't know what you're talking about. He didn't know more know about a, an escort than I did, and, and uh, he was who I was working for. So we had to learn that whole process, and it was a rough week, and we had to get a Twit card. That's where I got introduced to all that. So yeah. we later got the Twit card and got everything involved. And so we, we Basically, you have after, to have an escort if you do not have a Twit card, right? That's correct. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's okay. correct. Yeah. So – that smoothed out after a couple of weeks and, and then it started to process. And so I began to learn the things, learn the systems, learn what to do. And um, as it went on, I got a few more phone calls from Mitch. Hey, do you want to, you want to do this run? And we, we started adding on runs as it went through. So we're doing the litter and the uh, refrigerated. Yeah. I started to refrigerate it in, in May of 2014, but as it as it progressed and got bigger, it got more than I could handle doing the litter and the reefers. So I took the laid back farm portion of it, and Johnny ended up with laid back farms, and I ended up with LB three. And Johnny and his son in law, his soon to be son in law, was a great fit for them, and they're still doing that today. They're still moving litter today. That Mac Lindley moved those first loads with Brown in as uh, back laid-back farms was a mid-1990s model. As the business had picked up, though, the first truck they purchased was a Pete. A good deal more than they needed, really, though. Lindley's always been a truck guy, as he describes himself from a young age. 96, uh, 379 Pete. Mm-hmm. And it was a... It was way beyond what Johnny and I needed. We didn't know. But it had a 15 over in it with a 60 series. But it had been a drug smuggling truck. Wow. And it was uh, bought. The U.S. Marshals ended up selling it 
we bought it from a guy that bought it from them. Interior had been taken out because they was looking for dope and everything else in it. So that was the first truck. It was chromed out. I mean, it had chrome everywhere. So here we are, two chicken farmers with this chromed out Peterbilt. We're thinking, hey, you know, we got some. <laughs> About the first trip, we ripped the front bumper off of it. Oh, no. You know, we're, we're dealing with pastures and, and farms, not thinking that the bumper's going to catch. But, right. You know, it uh, probably had, had a big and, bumper, uh, probably set a little lower than it needed to be. And, it did. Uh, it was about a 22-incher. Yeah. It was a big one. Yeah. I actually ended up putting about three bumpers on that truck. <laughs> a wall in the current LB3 office showcases the variety of those early trucks in the company. You can catch a picture of that wall in post that houses this edition of Overdrive Radio via overdriveonline.com slash overdrive hyphen radio. Next one we bought was a Freightliner, a little spring ride Freightliner with a 400 Cummins in it. It was up here to Anson Army Depot. <laughs> We'd go into a field and, and with litter on the back and it wouldn't steer, it just push you straight if it had any moisture because there was no weight on the front end. Oh, wow. It was crazy. Lindley and company still work with Mitch Craig at Cook Foods, but as Brian mentioned earlier, diversification in customers has been an ongoing process. And your owner also appreciate this. We had the, one of the large companies come in and cut a throat and oh, really? took a large portion of our business in January of last year. That really hurt us. Uh, but we have we have diversified and we've prevailed and we've made it through that. So that happened January of last year. Um, totally bad timing huh? for everything that happened uh, thereafter. Uh, so it's crazy mm-hmm. year. Yeah, we got hit with that right the first week of January, and we had about a month to absorb that. Then COVID hit, and so I started started doing a lot of diversification quickly. And you know, I I actually give I I had hired a fleet manager back in I think it was June or July of the prior year, and I had just hired a guy from Penske that we had worked with for a long time because a lot of our trucks now are Penske trucks. I, he had been with Pinsky 17 years, and I just hired him. He started that week, and I just told him, I said, look, guys, if, if you want to walk, y'all can walk. I, I don't blame you because I don't know where we're going. I really, I, I just, I wanted to be as transparent as possible with them, but they said, we're not leaving you. You mentioned Pinsky uh, trucks. So are you guys leasing your trucks now? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Almost. Uh, so, you, so you have twenty. You're running twenty um, plus the three owner operators. Are how many of those twenty are you leasing? I think it's about fifteen, sixteen of those Pinsky trucks. Okay. I got I got a total of twenty with the three owner operators. So it's about oh, seventeen. Okay. So most everything we've got is leased. Okay. Well, when did you start doing that? Well, when we first got the two two Cummins runs a day back in, that would have probably been 15 when I, when I first got that. What I've done is I, I leased two Volvos through Penske. And the reasoning that I tried that is we were running dedicated. We just had to do two loads a day per driver. So I knew I didn't need to be down. Now, I'd already owned trucks prior to this myself, and I knew 
the issues that I was having out of engines and different things and mm-hmm. rear ends, transmissions, and then you're down, you don't have a truck. So I knew that it was important for us to be able to keep, keep doing the business with this customer that I needed to be reliable. And so I already had trucks I own, then I've done the two Penske trucks. I also, when we started growing, I also done some FMV leasing as well. That's fair market value leasing. What Lindley and company are doing with Penske today is full service leasing. So I tried to figure out what's best for LB3. And what, out of all of that, what I've determined what's best for us because of the dedicated freight is, is leasing the truck. And that's actually helped, you know, promote us and be reliable in what we do and, and our customers as we grow that that's, that's kind of been a, a big selling point when you're talking to a potential customer you know they don't want you to they don't want their freight to be always be broke down so i don't want it to be broke down if a driver i can't i can't deliver for that driver if, if i'm not keeping him rolling so right we're a little bit unique. I mean, we've got some guys that are on salary. We've got some guys that are by the load. And then we have those that are by the load. If I feel like they done more than what their week represents, I, I pay accordingly. Yeah. I want to make sure that our guys make a, a, a fit, you know, a, a, a decent wage. It's easier to overpay a driver and keep him if he's worth keeping than it is to nitpicky everything and, and then have to start looking for other drivers. So yeah. we're going to be found, you know, we want them, we want them to try to make anywhere, you know, in this area, we like for them to try to make anywhere from 50 to 60,000 or more a year. Yeah. We're trying to become a destination company as we grow. I'm trying to do things right. So that guys will want to work here, and, and we have really created that. Everybody involved, management, drivers, drivers are buying into the process. Everybody is really happy. I've had a lot of veteran drivers that's joined us recently and just been blown away with the camaraderie, the family atmosphere, and um, try not to look. I mean, I know you got to make earnings. You know, you got to make you got to make money. I realize that, but money's not everything. Uh, you you got to make it to survive, but it's yeah. it's better to do the right thing with these guys and to take care of them because you know they're going to take care of you. And there's some weeks where, where, where it's just rough. It's just a rough week, yeah. and they earn their money. So, How's the salary uh, structure work there? Is it um... – What we do with some of our routes, it's uh, kind of like a swing shift to the way we do it because of the hours of service. You'll – You'll leave out on a Monday, come back on a Tuesday, and then leave back out on Wednesday, and then back out on Friday. And then the next week, you don't leave out until Tuesday. So it's you're out Tuesday, Thursday, right. and come back the next day. So one week you're gone for three days, and, and and the next week you're gone, or you leave out three days, and the next week you leave out two days. So the best way I found to do that was – just to put the guys on salary and, and that way they don't have any high weeks or low weeks. We just try to keep it even. And some weeks I lose, you know, some weeks we don't have a load coming back and they just come back empty. But right. uh, then there's those weeks that we have to work on Saturday and, and that's just part of it. You know, they have to work on that Saturday. 
And, you know, that may have to change in the future if that particular route changes, but that's right. just where we are right now. And and it all started because I knew, I knew I had some good drivers on that route. And, you know, I started hearing a little chatter about maybe I need to buy my own truck and, and do this and do that. And so I'd, I'd already gone through losing some good guys once before, and I didn't want to do it again. Right. So I saw that, you know, let's let's just make it – make it hard on them to leave yeah and so so we did and, <laughs> uh, but you know you got to look in the grand scheme of things is, is uh of course we're offering blue cross blue shield now insurance dental and health and i so we're trying to get the packages together so that you know we can be vital in, in, in everything that we do uh you know we want the guys to to be taken care of but I just don't want to lose them if I mm-hmm. if I don't have to. I got one a young man right now. He's wanting to tip his toe in the owner operating and, and doing his own deal. So I'm making it very very difficult on him because he's he's excellent. Yeah. <laughs> but if that's something that he wants to try, then that's okay. But we're um, we're starting our brokerage, and so we're going to try to keep him on the brokerage side of it. We, we've got some 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 freight coming up that he really likes to haul so we're trying to keep him on the brokerage side so we can at least keep him somewhat in house the entrepreneurial spirit live and well in the trucking business no doubt a big thanks to lindley and lb3 for taking the time with us speaking of salary pay sometimes structured as a minimum guarantee with a mileage or other incentive bonus on the top find a link to a compensation practices survey in the post that houses this podcast whether you're a driver owner-operator, or small fleet owner like Lindley at this point, we'd love to have your participation in it. It's been a few years since we gave a close look at pay trends among small fleet owners and operators. Give it a whirl when you can. Now, shifting gears back to pick up on the Q&A portion of ATBS President Todd Amon's talk that we featured last week. Looking closely at ATBS's business services client owner-operators performance benchmarks from last year, income, revenue, miles, and the like. The Q&A responded directly to client questions and covers a lot of extra ground. Eamon's well-schooled in so many aspects of trucking as an owner-operator, given his company's long service to so many. The first question he addressed, you got it, fuel costs. Here we go. The first thing was, what do we expect to happen for fuel prices this year? Now that's a really, really good question. Um, I wish I could predict fuel prices. I, I guess we could have seen it coming that they were going to go down last year when people stopped driving and we stopped spending money and airplanes stopped flying. So think about that now, right? The reverse is happening. There's really kind of two things. Our supply is limited. You know, the Biden administration, Trump was drill, drill, drill. Let's go get more oil everywhere we can, any way we can. We don't care. Let's just get more oil. And America became number one oil producer. We supplied our own oil. The Biden administration, like the... Obama administration is much more EPA conscious. And so they put a halt on drilling. Plus a lot of drillers went out of business and stopped drilling. When oil went down below 40 bucks last year, they can't make money drilling. And so because of those two things, drilling went down a lot. And so our supply of oil in America has gone down and been hindered. And it takes a long time to ramp that back up. And governmentally, they're not going to let some of it ramp back up on governmental lands, right? So you got that at the same time as you've got people coming out of their houses and driving their cars and people getting on airplanes and flying. So the demand's going up. So reduced supply and increased demand means the price goes up. And so if I was a betting man, we've seen it go up, right? We're back above three bucks a gallon. 
I honestly wouldn't be surprised if we got fuel back up above 350 this year, maybe even four bucks a gallon. So be prepared for that. We've already talked about it. Um, when fuel is increasing, even though fuel surcharge cashes, catches up, there's a cash flow lag. Um, don't hold me to it, but I think fuel's going up. Uh, second question was about, um, can I get PPP money? Uh, the PPP was just extended. Biden signed it into law, which is a great thing. Uh, so the deadline now is May 31st. It's pretty confusing. I won't take the time to go through it on the phone with you at this moment. I will say if you got a PPP loan last year and your revenue was down in any quarter of last year versus 2019 by more than 25%, maybe you had a crappy second quarter because things were tough, um, you can get a PPP two loan. So I'll tell you, if you didn't get a PPP one loan, you can get a PPP one loan. If you were in business in 2020 versus 2019, you can get $20,000 in all likelihood. If you're an average owner operator, you can get a $20,000 loan. If your revenue went down by more than 25%, you can get a PPP two loan for $20,000. I call it a loan because that's what the SBA calls it. But at the end of the day, if you do everything right, it's not a loan, it's a grant. It will be forgiven and it's free money. So I encourage all of you, you know, I'll give you our phone number right now. You can call us even if you're not a customer, we can help you with that. Um, our number is 866-920-2827. You can also go to our website, atbs.com, and we can help you um, with all that, taxes, PPP, loans, those kinds of things. Uh, we can talk you through it. Um, happy to help you. Uh, next question was, will one truck owner operators be viable going forward? You know, God bless all of you on the phone because that's always a concern, right? The world's getting bigger. We hear all this money about big tech and big business, you know, making all the money and putting the little guy out of business and, and we see it happening. What I can tell you, I mean, near and dear, you know, most fond in my heart is each one of you that own your own business. I started that way 23 years ago, ran ATBS out of my garage as a one person shop and grew it to what it is today. So you are the backbone of America, what you do being a single business owner. And I don't think the government can ever outlaw what you do. And I don't think economics can ever outlaw what you do. And, and here's really why I say that, because the one truck owner operator has the advantage in the market. I can be a large multi-billion dollar truck line and I can negotiate trucks that cost me half of what you're paying for them. I can negotiate fuel that costs me 40 cents a gallon, less than you're paying for it. But at the end of the day, I've got to employ tens of thousands of people to operate that equipment. And that's inefficient because those people I employ to operate that equipment, they don't really care about it. Um, you as an owner operator, on the other hand, you're lean and mean. You fight every single day to be successful in your business. When fuel goes up from 250 to 350 a gallon, you can react immediately. You can idle less, you can slow down, you can manage your fuel costs. If I'm a truck line, billion dollar truck line with 10,000 trucks and I just turned my speed limit up from 63 to 67 because fuel, fuel costs went down, it's gonna take me another six months or a year to get those trucks turned back down. So I simply say that because yeah, the one truck owner operator is always gonna be around. You can run more efficiently, cost effectively, you're scrappy. You can run when everybody else wants to sit. Um, so yeah, don't ever count yourself out. Uh, you're the backbone of trucking. You're gonna be around forever. The question that kind of goes along with that is, uh, how soon is too soon to grow? There's a lot of drivers out there making good money right now. They got enough for a down payment on a second truck or a third or a fifth truck. And what I would say is, um, the only time it's too soon to grow is when you don't know what you're doing. Don't just do it because you got the money. Don't do it because you see a nice shiny truck next to your buddy's going broke and you can buy his truck for a good deal. Get a business plan in place. Understand where the money's going to come from to pay for the truck. 
understand what it's going to cost you in maintenance, understand who's going to drive that second truck, know where the freight's going to come from. When the spot market goes from 250 a mile to a buck 90 a mile, can you still make money? Spend time with the numbers. ATBS can help you doing that. Do that. That's what we do all day long. Um, so it might be a good time for you to add a truck, but make sure you can find a driver to drive it and uh, make sure you got a good business plan in place. Another question was um, how many owner operators were forced out of business in 2020? It's a great question. I don't really know the number. What I can tell you is, boy, our client count dropped by 500 drivers last mid-March until early May. Um, that was because some people stopped trucking. They were scared. They went out of business. They didn't want to drive because of coronavirus. They weren't making any money. But I can tell you, we rebounded quickly and regained that. And we regained that in multiples by 1,200, 1,500 drivers over the last uh, 12 months. And so I do think some owner operators went out of business. I think some maybe permanently left the industry, but I think that's been replaced um, by and large over the last 12 months. Uh, another question was how much debt was reduced during the pandemic, which is an interesting question. I do know there were drivers that went out and got idle loans and you could get an idle loan that was a long-term 20 or 30 year idle loan for a very low interest rate. And they paid off shorter term debt that they had with high payments. There was some of that going on. There were drivers that made more money than they've made before and they used some of that money to pay down their debt. But I don't have a hard dollar number. Um, I don't know how much debt was paid down. The rest of the questions that came in were related to tax. So I'm gonna just talk about a few tax things really quick. Again, you can call us at ATBS 866-920-2827. We're in the tax business. We can help you all day long with taxes. You can go to our website, atbs.com. We have a ton of information. There's a search box there. You can type in anything you want related to taxes, per diem, PPP loans. Um, we have endless information that we write and put out there and you can find a lot of information if you want that. So a few questions around per diem. This is always a confusing issue. The per diem deduction is $66 a day for owner operators. Um, you only get to take 80% of that as an expense. So that gets to be down around $52 per day. You have to track every single day you're away from your home and you can use that for a per diem deduction. So that's good news, right? The average owner operator gets somewhere between a 12 to $18,000 per year tax deduction on their business for per diem. So it's a great deduction. Um, people wanted to know how to calculate that. There's parcel day per diems and it's a little bit confusing. One thing I'll tell you is, um, gosh, we've had, I think we just went over 10,000 downloads on the ATBS app. We just introduced it last, you know, second quarter. So it hasn't been out quite a year yet. And we've had 10,000 downloads. Right now it's uh, mostly you're able to send receipts and all of your accounting paperwork into us, which is awesome, makes life really easy. Uh, you can see information on there. So it's great for doing business with ATBS, but sometime in the next 60 to 90 days, we are gonna add a feature onto the app to track your per diem, which will be super useful. You'll just you know mark a box that says I was away from home and it'll track your per diem throughout the year, which will be really easy for you. So keep an eye out for that. Um, had a question about the difference between an LLC and an S Corp. I could spend an hour on the phone talking about that. I would say 96% of the drivers we do business with don't have a entity set up. They're sole proprietors. They file a Schedule C on their tax return and that's it. Um, we do have drivers that set up LLCs. Sometimes their carrier requires them to set up an LLC. Then we have drivers that have S Corps. And so let me just explain for a minute the difference between an S Corp and an LLC. An LLC is just a simple business entity. You can set that up, get an EIN number, have some legal protection. 
and still be taxed as a sole proprietor so it doesn't confuse the tax process. Pretty easy to do. An S-Corp gets much more confusing because there's tax ramifications. If I'm an S-Corp, I have to file an S-Corp tax return, so now I have an individual return, I have an S-Corp tax return. The biggest reason from an accounting perspective, not a legal perspective, I'm not a lawyer, but the biggest reason is to set up an S-Corp is to save money on self-employment taxes. And I'll just give you a quick example. So if I made over $70,000 a year last year and I set up an S-Corp, I can do that and I can pay myself as an employee of my S-Corp. I can pay myself an average driver wage of around $40,000 a year. So I'm going to save money on the differential of I made 70, but I paid myself 40. There's a $30,000 differential. I'm going to save self-employment tax of about 15% around $4,500 I'm gonna save in self-employment taxes. I'm gonna still pay the same amount of income tax on the whole $70,000. I'm just gonna save self-employment tax. It costs more money to do that because now I have to do payroll for myself. Now I have to file that S-Corp tax filing. So ATBS can do all that for you. We can do the payroll, we can do the withholdings, we can submit it to the government, um, but we're gonna charge you about $1,500 to do that. So it costs more to be an S-Corp and do that, which is why I say it only makes sense if you're making over 70 grand a year if I'm making 50 or 60,000 a year, it's not worth messing with. But if I make over 70 a year, I can save about $4,500 in taxes. I can pay about $1,500 more to do that. Net to the good is I'm gonna save about $3,000 net. So sorry, that's kind of a quick brief explanation, but hopefully it makes sense on difference between an S-Corp and an LLC. Um, had a question about, is it better to pay annual or quarterly taxes? Uh, what I will say is by law, the IRS requires independent contractors and in the industry to pay quarterly taxes. So I guess I would say it's better to pay quarterly taxes. The downside if you don't pay quarterly taxes and you pay annually is you'll just file a penalty. What the IRS does is take your tax liability and what you should have paid quarterly. And if you didn't and you paid it at the end of the year or in April, they'll just charge you an interest rate on the money that you didn't pay them. Unfortunately, that money you didn't pay them is not gonna make money sitting in a bank. Um, anywhere near what the IRS is gonna charge you, probably seven or 8%. So let's just say you owe 10 grand and you didn't pay it and you pay it all at once at the end of the year, you might pay 800 bucks in interest. It's up to you whether you wanna pay the quarterlies or not. You're not gonna get arrested and thrown in jail for it. Um, you're just gonna get charged some money by the IRS. Uh, what if I didn't get my stimulus check? You know, the government has pumped out thousands of dollars in stimulus checks. Um, they had some requirements put in place to get your stimulus check, right? You had to file a tax return in 2019 to get that stimulus check. Same thing in 2020 for this $1,400 that's going out. Um, so what I would say is when you get your tax return filed, you will get your stimulus check. They will automatically do that, which is great. Um, but get your tax returns done, which goes really to kind of this last question. How do I deal with back taxes? You know, last year was a confusing year. They extended the tax return deadline from April 15th to July 15th. They said you don't have to pay your first quarter tax estimate until July 15th. Unfortunately, that gave the excuse to a lot of independent people because the second quarter was rough to delay paying taxes. And once you delay paying taxes and you spend that money on other things, you get out of the in the habit of not paying taxes. We have a tax resolution department here at ATBS. And I kind of say that in a little bit of a funny way because I hate the radio ads and the TV ads and satellite radio and newspapers that all talk about, you know, call tax tigers, you know, we'll deal with the IRS for you. I can tell you, we get people that deal with a lot of those companies and those companies will charge you five, 10, $20,000 and they never do anything. They just take your money. It's really sad. It's a sleazy industry. So we don't really want to be in it at ATBS because it's a sleazy industry. What I can tell you is we want to help our clients and we want to help truck drivers. 
And so if you have the IRS back taxes and they're haunting you and they're sending you letters, um, give us a call. You know, we'll charge you somewhere between a thousand to twenty five hundred dollars. If we got to do five years of back taxes, we got to charge you to do those tax returns too. So we might have to charge you, you know, six, seven hundred dollars to do the back taxes. So the money can add up. But at the end of the day, we're going to charge you a fraction of what those sleazy companies are. And I can also tell you, in a lot of cases, we can help you negotiate. So we can charge you not near that much. We can tell you how to negotiate with the IRS. At the end of the day, what really happens is if you have money, the IRS isn't going to forgive you. They're going to go after you and they're going to get their money. But if you're in a tough spot, you spent the money, you've had a you know tough situation, health problems or um, divorce or anything else, you owe the IRS $20,000, $50,000 and you don't have the money. In many cases, we can negotiate a settlement with the IRS and get that down significantly. Um, the IRS doesn't want to chase you know blood after a turnip, um, so they will negotiate. So. Thanks to the folks at ATBS again for offering the talk up here for a re-air. Plenty of great information there. Dig back through the podcast feed for last week's episode if you missed it. It's well worth a listen. Thanks also to uh, LB3 owner Brian Lindley and to you for hanging in. Meantime, and keep it pro till next week. Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive, the voice of the American trucker. It's edited and produced by me, Todd Dills, with no small amount of support from Overdrive Extra contributor Paul Marhofer. Overdrive Editorial Director Max Heine, Social Media Coordinator Holly Young, and News Editor Matt Cole. Here's to a great week upcoming. See you next time.